Well, welcome to the Exchange Church in person, live and in person. And for those that are still watching online, we didn't forget about you. We love you too. We're so excited that you're part of our family and uh, we know that you're at home cozy right now. And I hope that you felt the electricity that was in worship in the room. I hope you felt that at home. It was, it was incredible. We're in a series called Self-Quarantine, Loving and Living from the Inside Out. And for those of you that have been following us online, watching the services, um, we've been talking about the Enneagram as a tool. It is a personality typing system that helps in relationships, helps you to know yourself and understand kind of how God wired you. Um, and, and you're not all of one thing. You can be a mixture and you can see parts of yourself in many different numbers. But today we are going to talk about six, the, the number six. Do I have any sixes in the room that you already know you're a six? Shane. Amber, Hosanna, Kaylee, so many sixes. My daughter, Addison, so many sixes in the room. I'm sure there are many sixes watching online. If you have no clue what I'm talking about and you want to take this test to find out what number you are, please text SELF, S-E-L-F, to 512-980-1220. Today, we're going to talk about my, probably my favorite Bible character, I, even though I'm not a six, I relate so much to this guy, and uh, I, I think he's incredible. We're going to talk about Peter, the disciple Peter, who I believe is a six. For good reason, we'll talk about that. I want to take you to our text, Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33, and I'm going to break it down kind of verse by verse, but let's first open with prayer. By the way, let me just say this, get this off my chest. It is so good to preach in front, in front of humans today. It just feels like I've come home. It's great. I've been for the last three months preaching in front of angels, which is nice, but they don't say amen too loud. So I'm glad that you're in the room. Father, we come before you. God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing in the room and what you continue to do online. Father, I thank you that distance and time is no limiting factor for you. So God, I just declare, I prophesy right now that in the next 20 minutes, God, there is gonna be a shift in the atmosphere. God, those who walked in with sickness are going to leave whole and healed and delivered in the name of Jesus. Those that walked in with the spirit of fear are gonna walk out of this place completely set free in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that you are for us. You are for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say, amen. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he spent, sent the people home. Now, the first thing you should be asking yourself is immediately after what? Right? Whenever the Bible says immediately after, you should look back, thumb back. So those that actually have a physical Bible or your phone, you can scroll up just a bit and you will see that what happened before that is Jesus feeds the multitudes. He takes two fish, five loaves of bread, multiplies it, feeds the masses. And immediately after this, Jesus tells them, he insists that they get in the boat and go to the other side. 
Now in America, in the world really today, we have a problem. We have a crisis. The crisis isn't what you're thinking. The crisis I wanna talk about is obesity. Obesity is a problem in today's culture. 2,000 years ago, obesity was not an issue, starvation was. And, and to understand the, the gravity of what's happening in this text, you need to understand that people weren't just hangry, they were starving to death. It wasn't like they had a market that they could just go to and there was an endless supply of fish and there was an endless supply of bread. Are you with me, church? Starvation was a very real issue. Our issue today is deciding which fast food restaurant we want to get takeout from. That's our inconvenience, not being able to make up our mind because we have so many options. But in this time, starvation is a very real thing. Can you imagine this? Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. Food is plentiful. And in their minds, they're thinking, I don't know who this is, but he is the solution to all of our problems. Can you just imagine the mob mentality in that moment? Like, don't let that guy leave. We need breakfast tomorrow. So Jesus immediately after tells him to get into the boat. If power is something that you aspire to, if fame is something you aspire to, you should know that Jesus ran from both. He ran from this notion of his name being powerful and famous among the masses until it was time because he understood that power and fame can destroy your character if you receive it before your character is built. I don't know who I'm talking today to, whether you're in the building or online, but I just want to remind you to seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, and all these other things will be added to you. You see, God's not against your name being great. In fact, we know in Genesis 2 that he will make your name great and your tribe great among the nations if you exalt him and point people to him. He's not against your name being great. He is against your name being great ahead of its time. And so we see in the next verse, verse 23, after sending the people home, how many know when Jesus says the party's over, the party's over, right? After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Side note, this isn't in my notes, but I, I sure hope during this quarantine time that you have found some time to get alone with Jesus. I hope that you have found a way. It's just my wife. My wife, she just smiles and says, sorry. Um, where was I? I hope that you have found a way to carve out. I know you're very busy schedule. You've got a lot of places to be over the last three months. But I hope that our boredom hasn't even pushed out the space reserved for God. You can find yourself so confused on what the priorities are that the thing you should be running after is not the thing you're running after. And instead of running after the call of God on your life, the intimacy with God, the fellowship and communion with God, you're running after all of these good things that have one too many O's. Don't confuse the good thing for the God thing in your life. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. 
Uh, if you have your Bible, underline that word, heavy. They were fighting heavy waves. Now, if you, were, if you were to go and see the lake that they're on, the sea, they didn't have a lot of terms for water. Everything was a sea. A small puddle, they would have called it a sea. Lake Georgetown, they would have called it a sea. The Pacific Ocean, they would have called it a sea. You would not be impressed with the size of the sea that they are on right now when, when they start to freak out, when, when the disciples are in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they're fighting heavy waves. You wouldn't be impressed with the size of the sea, but you would be impressed with the weight of the wave. Because waves can get heavy. How many know water is powerful? Just a few inches of water on a road can displace a car that's trying to get across. Just a few inches of water is all it takes for someone to meet their maker if they're not standing vertically, but horizontally. Water is extremely powerful. And here we see the disciples terrified by the waves because it's stronger than us. You don't need to be in a hurricane to die. Can I get a good amen with somebody with some common sense in this place? Verse 25, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them in the middle of the storm, heavy waves, heavy winds, walking on the water. But Jesus spoke to them, I'm sorry, verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, look at your neighbor six foot away and say, in their fear. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. For all the sixes in the room, those that might be a six, or those that are currently dealing with any level of fear, I want to remind you that God has not called you to live an ordinary life. I, I get that sometimes it feels like circumstances are against you. I get that sometimes it feels like the door's not opening, that you feel like God wanted you to walk through, but God has not called you to live an ordinary life. Jesus says, yes, come, verse 29. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. And this is how we know that Peter was not an Enneagram 3. If he was an Enneagram 3, he would have stopped for a selfie moment with Jesus on the water. But then he saw the strong wind and waves. He was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, Peter shouted. It's easy to have faith in your finances when you're focused on Jesus. But when you look at your bank account, it's not so easy. It's easy to have faith in your marriage when you're focused on Jesus. But when you're replaying that last argument you had, it's not so easy. It's easy to have faith that God's word is going to come true and your kids are all going to come to know him in Jesus' name and they're going to serve him all the days of their life. But when they're out partying and not coming home and you get your eyes on that, it's a little more difficult. Listen to me, church. Faith is only faith. Faith is only active faith. Faith is only alive faith when there are high winds and heavy waves. Faith isn't even engaged when the waters are calm. 
I, I know those are, the, those are the easy sailing moments. Those are when you can kick back with your Cheetos and watch the sunset and just talk about the beauty of God and how he's created everything and it's lovely. Like it's a great moment of gratitude. But then there are moments when the winds pick up and the waves make it feel like your boat's going to tip over. That's when your faith is important. Some of us don't build a life of faith until the waves and the wind come. And by then it's too late. Jesus immediately, verse 31, reached out and grabbed him. Some of us today sitting in this room and even watching on home, some of us don't even know what Jesus has rescued us from today. Today at what time is it? I don't have a watch. That time. At that time, we don't even know what Jesus has done for us today. But I'm here to tell you that immediately, God is in the habit of immediately rescuing his children. And then he looks at Peter and says, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. That's the close of our text. I want to pull out a few nuggets before I send you home. The first point I want you to write down today, write it on your phone, in your notes. The loyalist reflects God's faithfulness. The loyalist is Enneagram 6. The loyalist reflects God's faithfulness. Now, don't criticize Peter. It's all easy for us to criticize Peter. He's standing on water, gets his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts to sink. It's real easy, right? We get a little bit self-righteous. Like, if I was walking on water... I wouldn't have gone down. You're already standing on water. Peter, what's the deal? But let me remind us, Peter is the only one that gets out of the boat. What courage it took simply to get out of the, the space of comfort, that zone where everyone else was just watching with their jaws on the floor. Thankfully, Peter wasn't afraid to get out of the boat. Why did God choose a six to be the ringleader of the disciples? You understand that, sixes. I hope your chest puffs up just a little bit. That God chose a six to be the leader of the disciples. Why? Because they're loyal. They're loyal. Peter wants to be faithful, but he's afraid. Peter wants to be brave and courageous, but he's afraid. Jesus picks the one who is driven by faithfulness, and loyalty, but he's afraid. Why? Because God wanted faith engaged in the life of Peter. He knew that as an Enneagram six, faithfulness and loyalty were so critical and important to Peter. Sure, he, he gets off track a bit with his fear, but he's driven by faithfulness and loyalty. So God says, this is a moment where I can allow him to rest in faith to meet his calling. Enneagram six is what are they motivated by? They want to be safe and avoid risk. Be safe and avoid risk. Listen to me, church. I know a lot of us right now are dealing with fear. You don't have to be a six to deal with fear. But God has called you to great faith. But if God has called us to great faith, we're going to have to combat great fear. Because fear wants to get you off track. When you see a healthy six, someone that is, is healthy, they, they are 
able to determine character in people they encounter. I love getting around sixes. I've got a lot of sixes in my life, and they have this sixth sense about people. And their discernment is typically when it's surrendered to God is almost spot on when they're healthy and they're not trying to defend their own motives and they're not trying to defend their own agendas. They, they just see in the spirit realm and their, their discernment is so good. They're able to determine character in people. If you know a healthy six in your world, you need to lean into them and you need to trust their judgment and you need to listen to them. They're loyal. They're reliable. They are trustworthy. When they lie, it's on accident. When I lie, it's on purpose. They desire to see the world as a safer place. When they're unhealthy, though, their life is dictated by fear and anxiety. They trust no one. They create space. They only see risk. They only see danger. And their core sin is fear. I've talked about the core sin in every Enneagram. I really want to spend the, the rest of my time talking about fear today because I think it's a pervasive problem, not just in sixes, not just in the church, but in the world right now. And can I just tell you that anything the world goes through, Jesus has a solution. He has an answer. Did you know that do not be afraid or do not fear is listed over 30, 360 times in the Bible, not quite 365, almost one for every day, but over 360 times it says, don't be afraid. Look at verse 27, verse 27, but Jesus spoke to them at once. What does he say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's the number one command in scripture more than anything else. More than a command to worship, more than a command to tithe, more than a command to help the homeless or the needy or the hungry. The greatest commandment listed more than any other thing, even more than love, is do not be afraid. Why does the Lord repeat that command so often? I think personally it's because he is exposing and revealing the enemy's number one tactic against the saints. Fear will discourage us and cut us off from our life source. I'm not suggesting that fear kicks you out of heaven. It doesn't. But it will cut you off from the life source of being a follower of Jesus Christ, just like a dislocated arm. I can have a dislocated arm and it doesn't function to its capacity. That doesn't mean it's cut off from my body, but it doesn't function. Fear will do the same thing to us. It will cause us to become dislocated from our purpose. It will cause us to not move in the call that God is calling us in. It, it will cause us to make reactions and decisions not based on faith, not based on what God is saying, but on fear. What is fear? Fear is where we agree with the enemy. And anytime you believe a lie, you are empowering the liar. When the Lord says, do not fear, it's never out of shame. It's not to put you down. Even when he said, Peter, what? You, a little faith. It wasn't to, to make Peter feel bad. It is to bring in an awareness to that which we have access to as sons and daughters. He's opening us 
up to that which is within reach, a grace for victory over fear. And it's a partnership. You see, when God gives a command for us to not fear, it empowers us to do what we could not have done on our own. Having the experience of fear, having the emotion of fear is not, is not sin. Partnering with it is. How many know this morning that facts is not the same as truth? I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. Facts is not truth. Here, I'll give you an example. Facts. Someone is diagnosed with cancer. Those are the facts. I know way too many Christians who, who have a faith that is called denial. And they won't repeat what the doctor has said because they feel like they're coming into agreement with that. Don't deny that you have an illness. Don't, don't deny that you have a sickness. Could you imagine denying that your arm is broken? Oh, there's nothing wrong. Faith is not denial. The facts are you have this, but truth says that Jesus paid the price on Calvary so that each one of us could boldly approach his throne and ask for healing. There is a difference. Many of us see facts and truth as the same thing, but they are separate, my friends. Facts may give a diagnosis, but truth says that Jesus has already conquered it. God is not limited by time. So when God gives us a promise, it's because it is, it is already accomplished in his realm. So what we do is we, we pray, and we fast, and we obey, and we declare, and we come into alignment with what God has already said. You notice in verse 27, it says, don't be afraid, take courage. Everybody say, take courage. There are two basic options in gaining ground and breakthrough with your fear. Matthew 11. Verse 12 says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What that means is in the kingdom, there are some things that you and I have to run after and take by force. We have to fight for it. We have to be obedient for it. We, we have to fast for it. We have to pray for it. Do you understand this notion? There are some things that if you want it, how bad do you want it, right? Jesus says to people in scripture many times, do you really wanna be healed? I remember a season, a time in my life when I had to ask the question, do I really want to be healed? Because if I want to be healed, it's going to require some stuff of me. Sometimes it's a lot easier to remain sick and let everybody else do that thing for you, do that stuff for you. I'm speaking to someone this morning. Hear me, church. Do you want to be well? because there are some things that you've got to take by force. And we see in scripture, 
when Jesus tells Peter, take courage. Courage is a lot like happiness. It doesn't just happen to you. You gotta take it. A lot of people are living a life of happiness based on their circumstances. How many know right now in today's climate, it's pretty hard to be happy based on circumstances. But you can be filled with joy and have happiness if you take it. If it's something that God is offering to you, if he's offering you courage, you can take it by force. And that's what Jesus is saying to Peter, take courage. Don't wait for courage to come, take it. Don't wait for freedom to come, take it. Don't wait for healing to come, take it. Don't wait for joy to come, take it. The kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The enemy is trying to keep things away from you. Listen, church, the enemy is trying to confuse you and you're sitting back on your couch in quarantine waiting for the FedEx or UPS to deliver that thing that you've been praying for. And God is saying, get off your butt and take it. God does that in scripture to prove our authority, to prove that he has equipped you and empowered you to fight the enemy. There's another way though you get breakthrough. We also know that the Bible says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, talking about children. There are, there are some seasons of breakthrough where God isn't asking you to take by force that which belongs to you. He, he's asking you to be patient and to wait, to rest and to trust. Because in that season, he doesn't want to prove your authority. He wants to, he, he wants to underscore this childlikeness that he's wanting to give an inheritance to. Do you see the difference? The challenge is knowing which season I'm in. Is this a take it season or a rest season? Isaiah 51, I'm out of time. And this building is getting hot, so I'm going to wrap it up. Isaiah 51, 12 and 13 says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die? Isn't it funny that God says, I'm the one that will comfort you. Who are you that you should be afraid? I feel like that's what he said to Peter. What are you doing, man? Who are you that you should be afraid? Did you actually think it was about you? Sometimes we need that jar of reality. You know, we're curled up with our blankie and we're not taking calls and, and we're, we're not answering the phone and we're nursing our wounds. You know what I'm, we, we've all been there. We've been in that season and we're just waiting for God to show up because we're fearful and we don't wanna face the day and God shows up and we're expecting him to come over, sit on the couch next to us and rub our head. Oh, honey, I understand. It's a tough, tough world out there. But more often than not, I think God throws the door open and he says, who are you that you should be afraid? Did you think all this was about your ability anyway? Have you been playing this game based on those rules? Because the moment you said yes to me, you relinquished control of your life to me. It's not about the power you possess, you're powerless.
oppression. Some of us are facing oppression right now. Oppression is that moment when we make agreement with the lie and we invite darkness to influence our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions. A cloud of darkness settles in over us when we believe a lie. Listen to me. If you're struggling with fear, if you're struggling with oppression, it has very little to do with circumstances, if anything. It has everything to do with the fact that you're believing a lie. You find the lie that you're believing and you begin to speak truth to your soul and the fear has to leave. I love, I love the fact that God partners so much with us. Did you know not everything that we want to blame on a spirit is of the spirit? Fear starts in the flesh. I'll give you one example, not fear, because fear maybe is, we always want to say it's a spirit of fear, spirit of fear, spirit of fear. Let me give you a different example. How many of you would think witchcraft is a spirit? Some of you are like, can we not talk about witchcraft? Witchcraft is a spirit, but Galatians 5 tells us that the spirit of witchcraft begins in the flesh. Simply by wanting to be in control, not wanting to be told what to do. Rebellion totally in the flesh. It's in your own mind. It's in your own thoughts and behaviors and your patterns. And at some point, that sin of the flesh sends a signal to the spirit realm that invites the darkness to come and empower that sin of the flesh that then becomes a sin of the spirit. Same with fear. If you're like me, I can scare myself in 30 seconds. I can. I can turn me on a good movie, turn off the lights. I can even, I can think about tragedy long enough. I can freak out and start to think that tragedy is going to come my way. Anybody else like that? Okay, all the fours are raising their hand. Maybe that's a four thing. (laughs) Fear begins in the flesh. When you get that bill in the mail and you say, I don't know how I'm going to pay this. I don't have the money for this. And that's a rational concern. It's rational. It's logical. But can I just remind us, church, we don't live by what we can see. We live by the unseen. We live by faith. So when you see a bill, a legit bill that you need to survive, I ain't talking about your Vegas bill, but a bill comes in that you need to pay and you don't have the funds to pay it. Don't allow fear in the flesh to send out a signal to the darkness to say there's a crack in my armor, come reinforce this fear because then it becomes a spiritual disease, a spirit of fear. And you know why the enemy wants us to be afraid? I'll wrap with this, I promise. Probably my, my favorite verse on fear. Where is it? Because I'm skipping some stuff. Uh, uh, Philippians 1, 27 through 28. Listen, listen, if you're struggling with fear, this is why I don't want you to struggle with fear. This is why God does not want you to struggle with fear. Philippians 1, 27 through 28. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. 
then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing side by side, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Look at this. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. When you choose not to fear, you broadcast on hell's loudspeaker system their eternal doom. When you choose not to fear, the, the reverberations throughout the dark kingdom go out that remind them of their eternal destiny. And so their goal is to get you to fear so they don't have to face what's going to happen to them at the end of the age. Today, I want to pray over fear. In fact, whether it's fear in the flesh or, or spirit of fear, if you're dealing with fear and you're in the room, I just want you to stand to your feet. If you're watching online, do something that is an act of faith and stand to your feet, raise your hand. If you're in Starbucks, buy an extra cappuccino, do something of faith right now to say, this is me. This is what the Lord needs to bring healing to in me. First Chronicles 28, 20. Then David continued, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. Psalm 91, two. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Ghost, right now, God, I just ask that fear would be removed from its very core in the name of Jesus. Anxiety would have to go in the name of Jesus. Father, I just ask that you would bring to the forefront right now of our awareness, the lie that we are believing. The lie that we are believing. Do we believe that you're not good? Do we believe that you're not faithful? Do we believe that you're not able? God, bring that lie to the surface and we partner with the truth. Not the facts, the truth. The truth of who you say that we are, the truth of what you say you are. And if by chance we have sent out signals that's allowed our sin in the flesh to be empowered and enabled by a spirit of darkness, Right now, by the authority of Jesus Christ, we say that you have to go. 
the oppression that we've partnered with, that we have allowed to roll on the scene, we just declare that the Spirit of God is pushing it back in the name of Jesus. God, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. That includes our very own mind. So we surrender our mind, our will, our thoughts, our emotions, our actions to you right now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church of God say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.